Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hello everybody, it's so good to have you joining us online today and if you are standing you can take your seats otherwise make yourself comfortable because here we are on day seven of our prayer and fasting season. I pray that you found yourself a good new rhythm and you're sticking in there, you're past the dreaded day three, you made it, woohoo, and it all gets easier from here. But as Pastor Don mentioned, there are heaps of ways that we can connect during this season, even though we can't all come together in the building. Do you know that if we hadn't had this little thing called COVID happening, that last night we would have finished up our closer conference, one of my favourite times in the year, but a little bit later in the service, you're going to hear about what we're planning already for next year because we are missing conference, revival conference. You're going to see more about that a little bit later. But as Pastor Don mentioned last week, we kicked off our closer season with Pastor Corey speaking brilliantly on the spiritual discipline of fasting. And one of the things that he says often is that fasting without prayer is just a really weird diet. And so it makes sense that here on week two of our season, we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about prayer. And so I wonder if you could open your Bibles with me today to Matthew chapter six. I've got my friends up here with me. How good's that? (laughs) Open up with me to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna read together from verses five to 15. It's a very familiar passage, but I believe God's going to speak to us afresh out of this scripture today. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, I've found in my life that one of the ways you can learn a lot about another person is play a game with them. Has anybody else noticed that during this COVID season? You can learn a lot about somebody's personality. You can learn about how competitive they are, how gracious they are, how patient they are. You can learn about their age and stage of development, their maturity. You can learn lots when you play a game with somebody. 
And I can't think of a better example than when I used to love to watch my four children play hide and seek on a daily basis. I'm thinking all the way back to when they were one, three, five, and seven. Yes, I survived that, four children, one, three, five, and seven, and that's why I have authority today to speak on a prayer life, because I survived in Jesus' name. But I remember they would play hide and seek daily. And I could learn a lot about their little personalities, their age and stage of development, their maturity level by how they played this game. Let me bring you in on what it looked like. My youngest daughter, Eden, she was one at this stage. Here's how she would play hide and seek. She would plonk herself down in the middle of the room, cover her eyes like this and think nobody could see her. Not only was she completely visible, but then she would do this. I'm over here, come and get me, come and get me. So you could see her and hear her. She didn't quite get the concept of hide and seek because of her age. I'm gonna skip my third child and come back to him later and go to who was five at the time, my son, Cape. Now, Cape has one mission in life. Anybody who knows him knows this. That mission is to never, ever, 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 ever be still. He goes and he goes and he goes and he goes and he goes until he finally falls flat on the floor or his mattress last thing at night and then he pops up ready to go again the very next day and doesn't stop. He is a little whirlwind and it's awesome. Here's the thing about the game of hide and seek. You have to hide somewhere and be completely still. That was not fun to Cabe at all. He didn't really get the game, didn't enjoy it at all. Let's talk about Noah. Noah was seven at the time. Noah is my pragmatic, sensible, well-thought-out, economical, logical child. And when it came to playing the game of hide-and-seek, he didn't want to waste too much brain space on having to think of new hiding places, having to play the game for too long. So he just had two hiding places that he went to every time. It meant that he could be found very quickly and then tick the list. Yes, I've played the family game and now I can get on with the rest of my life. That's how Noah played hide and seek. Now let's return to River. River was three years old at the time and River is what you and I can refer to today as beast mode ninja boss at the game of hide and seek. He was unbeatable. River would prepare to play the game of hide and seek in the same way as I would prepare for our entire family of six to go on a camping trip for seven days. He would pack a little backpack. Oh, we're playing hide and seek, time to pack my bag. He would put snacks in there. He would put a blanket, a change of clothes, a pillow, card game, board game. He was in this for the long haul. And then River would disappear, shimmy his way into a tiny hiding spot. He's an introvert, so he was like, this is the best. I've got space all to myself for hours, play games, eat his snacks with nobody else trying to take his food. He was an absolute boss at hide and seek. So much so... But one night as we sat down at the family meal table to eat, we looked around and went, oh, someone's missing. Who's missing? Oh, that's right. We were praying, playing hide and seek four hours ago when River Stool hasn't come out. He was amazing at hide and seek. You see, this taught me a lot about their personalities, their age and stage of maturity, and their developmental stages. Well, our personality and our age and stage of maturity in Christ, these things have some bearing on our prayer lives. But the greatest factor in effective and powerful prayer lives for every individual is this, 
How long are you and I willing to spend hiding away and seeking the face of God? You see, all of our lives are intended to flow from the secret place. And in this passage we've read together, it's a very famous passage because it's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray because what had happened in the culture of the time is that prayer had become show and tell rather than hide and seek. Look again with me at verse five. Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. Now, Pastor Corey mentioned this last week. He preached from the passage that comes just after where we're sharing from today. Jesus said, I don't want you to be hypocrites when it comes to your fasting. And he's saying the same thing to his disciples about their prayer lives. I don't want you to be hypocritical about your prayer life. This word hypocrite literally means actor. What would happen is the actors would take a mask, put it on their face, get up on a stage and pretend to be another character. And this is what had begun to, begun to happen in their prayer lives. You see, Jews prayed three times a day, morning, afternoon and dinner time, night time. They would head to the synagogue or the temple to pray or they would stop wherever they were at the set time of prayer and they would pray there. What had begun to creep into the culture is some of them just so happened to be walking along the busiest street, busiest street corners with the most amount of people at the set time of prayer so they could stand up and make a big song and dance and a big show and tell about their prayer lives. And this was the issue that Jesus was addressing. You see, you and I, we can do all the right things and actually be doing them for the wrong reasons. We can appear like we are serving God and actually be serving ourselves and sometimes we don't even recognise we're doing it. And so to avoid this, Jesus teaches that we should focus on a prayer life that more reflects hide and seek rather than show and tell. And so the answer for us is not to stop praying, but as Jesus teaches, it's to focus on where, how, and why we pray. In fact, three times in verse five, six, and seven, each of those verses starts with this three-word phrase, when you pray. The inference here is that disciples of Jesus will Pray. In fact, I would ask the question, if we're not praying, are we really disciples of Jesus? We are praying beings as human beings. Each of us is designed and wired to want to connect with a higher power in our lives. Think about it. Muslims pray five times a day. Jews pray three times a day. Hindus pray to several gods. Buddhists pray using a prayer wheel. Aborigines have spiritual practices around prayer. Native American Indians have practices around prayer. It's not just Christians who pray. In fact, in a 2004 survey, do you know that 30% of atheists admitted to regularly praying? In another study, 
over 14% of people who said they didn't even believe in a God at all, admitted to praying in times of crisis. I have a personal example of this in my own family. When my mother and father got married, my mother was raised in a Christian family and she was walking with the Lord, but my father was not. And so for the first few years of their marriage, my mother would pray for my dad to come to know Jesus. And then on the night when my mother was in labour with me, she'd been labouring for 27 hours. And the doctors went to my father and said, there's actually not much more we can do. There's something going wrong. We're not really sure what the issue is, but you're going to have to make a decision. We can save your wife or we can save your child. And so my father prayed for the first time in his life to a God who he didn't even know if he was real. And his prayer went something like this. God, if you are real, then save my wife and my child and I will serve you for the rest of my life. 15 minutes later, with a big bang and a whole lot of noise, I came flying into the world and I've been making a whole lot of noise ever since. And my dad came into spiritual birth at the same time as I came into natural birth. And today my dad is a pastor, has been for decades now serving the Lord with all his heart and his life. What was really cool about that story is my mum said to my dad, well, why don't you name her seeing this is such a significant night for you? And he said, okay, well, I like the name Stacey Renee. And mum said, okay, well, what does that mean? Because names were meaningful to my mother and dad said, I got no idea, I just like the name. Well, guess what Stacey Renee means? Those two names mean new life, born again, resurrection, brand new season and springtime. God heard the prayer of an unsaved man who didn't even know if he was real. Martin Luther says, as it is the business of tailors to mend clothes and cobblers to make shoes, it should be the business of Christians to pray. We're wired, we're created to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In other words, pray continuously. This has always puzzled me because I'm like, well, how do I get anything else done? But actually the word picture that Paul is painting with his carefully chosen words here is he's creating a metaphor in this little phrase without ceasing, he's using the same word that was used in the culture to refer to a persistent cough. You know when you're in those winter seasons and you get one of those coughs that just won't go away and it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing, but all of a sudden that involuntary physical spasm and you just cough, normally when you're trying to sleep at night. Well, Paul is saying here that this is what our prayer lives are meant to be like, that as we go about our ordinary everyday lives that we're so filled with revelation of the goodness of God and so hungry to connect with Him that a spiritual spasm of prayer comes up and out of us wherever we are. Isn't that an amazing way to think about our prayer lives? Timothy Keller said, to fail to pray is not merely to break some religious rule, it is a failure to treat God as God. To have prayer lives that are about hide and seek and not show and tell, Jesus actually gives us a secret and a key. 
He says in verse 6 that when we pray, we should go where? Into our room. We should shut the door and pray to our Father who is in secret. (laughs) You see, when I get here inside of this door, it becomes hide and seek. However, when I stay out here, it just becomes so tempting for it to be all about what you're thinking about me, what everyone else around me is thinking about me, and more like show and tell. So Jesus' answer was this. Shut the door, go into your room and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now the context of this passage when Jesus says, go into your room, the room he was talking about to that culture was the only room in the house that had no windows and that had a lockable door. Is Jesus teaching us here that we can't pray in a space where there's windows? That would be funny, seeing all of our branding for the closest season is windows, kind of non-biblical. Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, go go and find a place which is devoid of distractions, where you can shut out the rest of the world and focus on me. While we're here, let's talk for a moment about distractions. Who of my friends up here has their phone with them today? Grab it out if you've got your phone with them, with you. Oh, one, two, three, four, five out of five. Excellent. Well, Team, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but here is a set of facts for you today. Did you know that because you have your phones up here with you, that right now your ability to absorb what I am saying to you, for you to catch this gold that I am dropping down, is significantly diminished. The mere presence of our smartphones in a room with us, even if it's turned off, significantly diminishes our IQ. In other words, our smartphones are making us dumber. What psychologists are showing is, at their studies are showing, is that what happens is, can I borrow your phone for a second, please, Pastor Breno? Thank you. What these studies are showing us is that while your phone is in the same room as you, even if you're right on the other side of the room, your phone, what this is actually doing in Breno's brain is this, Breno, Breno, come pick me up, Breno. And he can't resist soon and he has to go and pick up his phone. In fact, studies are saying we have reached in our relationship with our phones what they call compulsion level. We can't help ourselves with them. Some studies show, and I could not believe this when I read it, that we reach for our phones 2,306, sorry, 2,617 times a day. And I'm sorry, millennials, but you sometimes up the stats a lot. Each user is on his or her phone for two and a half hours over 76 sessions each day. Let me talk to you about your phone for a minute. Most of what we do on our phones these days is all about show and tell. How can I show the best version of my life? How can I tell the best story about myself and how can I do it with a witty little caption that gets me the most likes? But Jesus is saying to us, I don't want you to live a show and tell life. I want you to hide away and I want you to seek my face. When we look at our phones that much and we receive 
positive affirmation, our brain fires off a little chemical called dopamine. Before we know it, we've become addicted to that chemical. Hear this, we are wiring we are amending the wiring of our brains and training them to be addicted to show and tell and actually creating a culture that is adverse to going into the secret room, shutting the door and seeking God's face. I would put before you today that the secret place is more important than it's ever been before. It's more countercultural than it has ever been before. Did you know that there's a whole industry whose sole purpose is to get us addicted to the apps on our phone? One design ethicist and product philosopher, yes, that's an actual job, <laughs> left his role because he could no longer live with the fact that this was his role description in a nutshell. Intentionally design for distraction and addiction. Can you imagine with me, just for a moment, what life would look like today if we reached for our Bibles 2,617 times a day? Can you imagine what our world and our society would look like if we entered the secret place for two and a half hours a day? Because here's the good news. You have a God who knows you by name. And he is calling out to you to come into the secret place. And it's not your phone saying, Breno, Breno. It's a God who's personally involved with your life, who is standing inside the secret place saying, Breno, probably actually Brendan, Brendan, come into the secret place and spend time with me. I want to share secrets with you. So let's get really practical for a moment. When we go into the secret place, here's what we can do. Thanks, Beth. Let's just decide, you know what? When it comes to my time with God, it's too important. Yep, you've got to give it up, Ernie. <laughs> Let it go. You can do it in Jesus' name. Can we just decide before we go through the door that that's actually what that's going to look like? I don't need to gram my time with God. I'm just gonna leave it out there and I'm gonna give him my full attention. Jay Vaughan says it's the test of a man or a woman what he or she is when they are alone with God. You see, Jesus models the shut door life to us, one of my favorite little verses in the Bible. In Luke 5, it says that Jesus was often withdrawing or Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and he would pray. Jesus didn't actually have a home. He didn't have to go through a door and shut the door. This word eremos here was a place devoid of distractions. For Jesus, sometimes when he walked through this door figuratively, he would go to a mountain. Sometimes when Jesus walked through this door figuratively, he would get onto a boat. Sometimes when Jesus walked through this door figuratively, he would go into a garden. It's just a place where you can commune with your Father. What does your secret place look like in this season? You see, when you and I choose to hide away and to seek God in the secret place, great news, it has rewards. Verse six says, our Father who sees in secret will reward you. I mentioned earlier my baby girl, Eden. 
She is tenacious and she is full of life and she gets that all from her father. And when she was in prep, she was this tiny little thing and her backpack was as big as her. And they had this thing at their school where each week they would give out an achievement award. Now Eden got to term three and she was like, what the heck? I haven't won an award. And so we sat her down and we explained and we said, well, Edie, you have to behave the values of the school, like being courageous, being a risk taker, being kind and compassionate, things like just, you know, doing your homework and your reader, and maybe you could win an award too. And we thought, you know, we'd really just discipled our child beautifully. Thing is, when your child wins this award, you get an email the week before so that you can go to the assembly and you can be there with your phone and like, woohoo, yeah, that's my kid. Everyone see that? That's my kid. So you can have that show and tell moment, right? I didn't get an email, but I see my little preppy with her big backpack walking towards the car one day, waving a ribbon in front of her that was the achievement award. And I'm like, have I missed an email? Oh my goodness, I'm the worst mom in the world. What the heck? So she gets into the car and I'm like, babe, what's that? She's like, I won the Achiever Award. I was like, awesome, what did you win it for? She tells me this big, long story. Check my emails that night, no email, and I'm devastated. I've missed this moment in my child's, child's life. So important, oh my goodness, what have I done? So I march up to the prep teacher the next day. Hey, my daughter won an Achievement Award yesterday. You guys didn't email me. I couldn't show and tell the moment. And I couldn't be present there with my daughter. And she just looks at me and she says, hmm, I wondered where that ribbon off my desk had gone. <laughs> Eden hadn't won the Achiever Award. She'd just taken it and spun a big story about how she'd won the award. Like I said, she is just like her father. The thing is, when it comes to the secret place, there are rewards, but you have to get your own. We have to be willing to pay the price of laying aside distractions, saying no to other things so that we can sneak away in such a countercultural way to the hidden secret place and seek God's face. You see, show and tell rewards, they're instantaneous and they're external. They're things like the applause of man, a big pat on the back. That's why in verse five, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, I don't really relate to this. I don't have a big issue with standing on a street corner and praying. Well, let's just think about the last time you were in life group for that prayer moment. Let's just think about the last time you were in just any small group in that prayer moment. And the person who prays before you, everyone is like shunderbaring and amening and mm-hmm, oh yeah. Everyone's getting right into that prayer and then it comes to you and you're praying and there's crickets. So quiet. Maybe it's just me by the sound of silence in this room right now. <laughs> but you go away and you go, well, what was wrong with my prayer? How come no one was shunderbarring for me? I've really got to work on that and up my prayer life. Do you know what? It's that simple. Right there, we have made our prayer lives about show and tell rather than hide and seek. And we've been doing something that's right, but because of the direction of our affections and our heart, which is how our culture and our world teaches us to live. So I'm talking about something completely countercultural here. Jesus said that's the full reward, reward right there if that's our motivation. You see, when we're motivated by the public's perception, we undermine the spiritual rewards that Jesus wants to pour out on our lives. The writer of Hebrews talks about rewards. 
when we hide in the secret place and seek Him. In Hebrews 11:6, we read, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. When we hide away in the hidden place and we seek Him, He rewards us. And in my life, I have found that when I do the countercultural thing and I go into my room and I shut the door, the rewards in my life have been intimacy and connection and revelation and wisdom and fruit and dreams and depths in Jesus that I could never have imagined and they are the rewards. You see, Jesus has and will always be the prize and the treasure and the reward and nothing else on earth could ever be as valuable as what He wants to pour out on us when we go away to the secret place. In Matthew 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This purity of heart it's talking about here in just the preceding chapter is the exact opposite of a hypocritical heart. To have a pure heart when we enter the secret place, this scripture says that we would see God. I want nothing more and to see God. We sang a song earlier, Face to Face, which actually describes the intimate, personal, secret place life of a man named Moses. We read about him in the Old Testament. Pre-Jesus, pre the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and the description of his relationship with God in his secret place was face to face, mouth to mouth. These are metaphors of a proximity and an intimacy with God that no other man had ever experienced before. God called Moses his friend. Moses was an intercessor for a nation and for a people. He had a beautiful prayer life. The meekest man on the face of the earth. Moses is inspiring. Not just that, the word in Numbers says that Moses would behold the form of the Lord In other words, New Testament, because of the purity of his heart, he saw the Lord. Crazy thing is, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 4. He talks about maybe three, three or four, 2 Corinthians, have a look at it. He says, you know, Moses would see God and encounter him in such a radical way that his face would glow and people couldn't cope. So he had to put a veil across his face because when he came out from the secret place, he looked so different. But then Paul writes this, if that was the ministry of the letter or the law, how much more for us who have the Holy Spirit? Do you know what Paul is saying in this moment? Available to you and I today as the church who is living in the fulfillment of Joel 2, beyond Acts and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we are living in these last days. Paul is saying that because of that, we can have an even greater face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth, beholding the form of the Lord encounter than even our great patriarch Moses did. Does that not blow your mind? For me in this 21 days, I want nothing less I want nothing less than to see him face to face, to talk mouth to mouth, to lay my head on his chest, to hear his secrets, for him to tell me what he thinks about the world, what he thinks about my life, 
what he needs to weed out of my heart, what he wants to do through his church. And it's available to us if we will hide away in the secret place, shut the door. Listen to how songwriter Greg Ferguson puts it. Such a strong temptation to live for man's applause. I don't wanna buy into the lie. It's not a worthy cause. So to keep things in perspective, I hung a sign up on the wall. The sign is nothing special, but it really says it all. And the sign says, I'll be content to serve an audience of one. Only his approval counts when all is said and done. This is my prayer when the race is finally won. I wanna hear well done from an audience of one. See, when we pray in the secret place, when we choose hide and seek over show and tell, good news is there's no word count. It's not how big or how eloquent your prayers are. It's about the purity of your heart. Verse seven, Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. There's so much packed in that little statement we won't go into today. But basically, Jesus is saying, a prayer life isn't meant to be a show. And he goes on and he teaches us how he wants us to pray. When you read it out loud with me from verses nine to 11, where it starts with our Father in heaven. Pray it with me, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, there's four little frameworks in this model prayer that Jesus gives us that can really help us in how we approach our prayer life when we go into the secret place and we shut the door on distractions. And it's this, Here's the first, our identity. In that verse, it says, our Father in heaven. This is all about who we are because of everything that Jesus has done. When we go into the secret place, there's two little images that I often imagine in my redeemed imagination as I approach this intimacy with God. I think back to in the Gospels when Jesus would welcome his children onto his lap. It's how he welcomes us, his sons and daughters, when we come to him to pray. In the times when there's maybe been a little bit of distance or I know I've missed the mark in my life, I like to think of Luke 15 and the prodigal son. When the father would stand on the highest point of his land every day and he would look out for his son. When his son, when he saw him walking, he ran out and he embraced him. That's how Father God welcomes you into the prayer space. That's what this verse is all about, identity. Then in the very next statement, hallowed be your name is the second pillar, it's worship. Out of our identity in Christ we worship. Hallowed be your name, exalted is your name, lifted high is your name, making much of who God is. What that does is that actually pulls the presence of Jesus right down into your situation and into wherever your secret place is. That's the power of praise and worship on your lips. Identity and worship. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is all about the co-laboring we've been invited into because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is actually praying in our secret place after we 
have fresh revelation of our identity and we worship God and His presence fills our secret place, then we go, you know what? Not my will, yours. It's not my kingdom, it's your kingdom. You show me what you want. I lay aside what I want. And then the final pillar of our secret place, prayer life that Jesus teaches us here is then we have to actually act on that revelation. It's obedience, it's application. That's what verses 11 to 13 is all about. It's after God has shown us what His will is and how His kingdom would work in the situation that then we actually walk it out and we lay aside our agenda to follow His. You see, when we pray in the secret place and when our lives are about hide and seek and not show and tell, the final thing is that we have to learn how to walk in forgiveness. Verses 14 and 15 are all about this. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Mark 11, 25 puts it this way. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. For if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What Jesus is talking about here is this referring back to this hypocritical heart again. He's pointing out that if we come into the secret place and we wanna ask Jesus to come close to us, and He can because God made a way by sending His Son Jesus so that we could be forgiven, how can we enjoy that freedom and yet not offer forgiveness to the people around us? That is the very definition of a hypocritical prayer life or a hypocritical life lived out for Jesus. I've found in my own intimacy and in my own secret place with God that if I'm not walking in forgiveness with other people in my life, that something strange and unintentional happens to my intimacy with Jesus. Actually puts a little obstacle in between me and God. Now, earlier in my message, I asked my friends up here who had their phone with them, and all of them did, and to be honest, my feelings are a little bit hurt that they would bring their phone up here and not fully concentrate on what I was saying. But I'm learning to walk in forgiveness, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me with that, because I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna be holding anything, a grudge against my brother or sister, so if you could add that to your prayer list, that would be amazing. But if, let's say, I go to my secret place tomorrow, I haven't actually released forgiveness to any one of these. Or let's say, Pastor Beck, come join me for a moment. Let's say that in our relationship, I love Pastor Beck, she's amazing. <laughs> let's say that just through life, because as we do life together, we often offend one another. We disappoint one another. Maybe someone embarrasses you in front of some other people. Maybe they forget your birthday. Beck's never done that to me, but let's say never. she did. <laughs> Let's say I've got an offence with Beck. Here's what happens if I don't release forgiveness to her when I go to my secret place. I think I'm going in alone to meet with God. But actually, I've taken Beck in with me. And then my prayer life actually becomes a show and tell in front of Beck. I didn't mean for it to happen. It's meant to be just about me and God. That's the power of unforgiveness in our life and how it affects our intimacy with Jesus. We end up taking the person with us into the secret place. I wanna ask you in this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, 
is anyone going with you into the secret place? You didn't mean to take them with you, but maybe you need to extend forgiveness. God wants that space to be just about you and Him. And there are so many different places that I could land this message today. So many different moments of encounter that we could have because God is so multifaceted and He reveals so much of Himself to us in the secret place that I could talk for days. Promise I won't. (laughs) But I really felt the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to land it here on forgiveness. And so we're actually going to create a moment where each of us searches our hearts. Joel's going to play as I walk you through a bit of a forgiveness process. I know you're already sitting where you are in your homes and I'm just wondering if you wanna close your eyes right now and bow your heads. Maybe you wanna open your hands before God while no one else in, your, in that room is looking around. This is a sign of openness towards God. In Psalm 139, reflect on this scripture as I read it over you. It says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Grieves the heart of the Father. When we expect to walk in His forgiveness, but we don't extend forgiveness to others. We might want it not to affect our intimacy with Him, but it does. So I wonder if in your own words right now, whether you wanna do it out loud if you're alone or in your head, let's just spend a moment thanking God that we have received His forgiveness. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us needs the forgiveness of a Saviour. Spend a moment thanking Him for your forgiveness. While you're in this attitude of prayer, with your eyes closed, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything that I need to seek forgiveness for from God? Any behaviour in my life, anywhere I've missed the mark, anything I'm holding onto that you don't want me to? Ask Him to search your heart like David did, to bring that up and ask for His forgiveness. Let His forgiveness wash over you now. He's just forgiven you. And while you receive that fresh revelation of the forgiveness you've just received, while you remain in the attitude of prayer, ask the Holy Spirit, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone I'm harboring unforgiveness towards? Bitterness, jealousy, envy, rage, disappointment? Invite Him to search you. As the Holy Spirit shows you, if you're alone, you can say this out loud. Perhaps if you're with others, you wanna pray this in your head or revisit it later. Say before the Lord, I forgive that person for what they did. Name them and name what offended you. Name what hurt you.
presence of God is a safe place for you. Now I want you to do something really brave and courageous. One of the things our flesh wants is for those people who offended us to understand how much they hurt us and to come and apologise. But I've learnt that more often than not, forgiveness is a thing between me and God. And so to release our expectation of ever receiving an apology will set you free. Doesn't mean you don't deserve it. Does mean you wanna go to your secret place and it just be about you and Jesus. Release, just say, I release them from the expectation of ever apologising to me. And just feel the freedom that comes. So Father, I thank You that every person right now with their hands open before You in the presence of Almighty Jesus, who has just gone through this process where they have opened their heart to You and allowed You to do what only You can do. Would You flood that room and would You flood their heart with the presence of Jesus Christ and with the peace that He brings. Father, we thank You for these moments where we can come to You and You are so forgiving of us. Time and time again, we miss the mark and time and time again, You love us and it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is not condemnation and we reject any condemning thoughts in the powerful Name of Jesus for we know we are not working to receive Your love or Your approval, but we rest because we already have it. It's our inheritance as your children. You don't love us more because we've just gone through this process than you did before. But your heart is so full right now because you want us free and you want us to live the John 10, 10 life, life to the full. So Father, as we prioritise the secret place, the hide and seek, as we go all countercultural, we resist show and tell. Pray you'd meet your people where they're at. Pour out your love. Pour out the reward of revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.